The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Good, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Look Ahead, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrera, and with me, as always, on The Look Ahead, my friend, my co-pilot, RJ Ochoa. What's up, RJ? Well, it's great to hear some energy in your voice, Stats. Jeez, I mean, oh, welcome back to another edition. I'm actually feeling a little bit under the weather, um, but I, I properly and purposely conserved all of my energy through Friday morning so that I could expel it here with you, and it feels like you just aren't matching that intensity. I very rarely have had people tell me I don't have enough energy when we do a show. Mm-hmm. So that's a first for me. Uh, going to be a little different show today. There's not a ton going on in the league. So we're going to share some stories because I always tell people when you work in this business and you do shows, there's always two shows that go on. There's the things that happen on the air and there's the things that happen off the air. And some of the off the air stuff is usually better than the on the air stuff to be honest with you we're going to get to that but before we do i want to remind everybody that we are brought to you by DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl download the DraftKings sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up that is code SBNNFL only at DraftKings. and if you do subscribe to the SBN nation nfl show be sure to leave a rating and write a review and if you write a review we promise to read them in stats we have three reviews to get to today are you ready Lay it on me. All right. The first one comes to us from, I think it's S Clothier 29. It's like like the letter S and then the word. I don't think Clothier is a word, but S-C-L-O-T-H-I-E-R 29. Five-star review. Title is Chicken Pot Pie. You obviously talked about this last week's stats. Giving the Look Ahead crew five stars despite RJ singing. Wow. I want to butter stats <laughs> up to get that handheld chicken pot pie recipe. Please share. You have made it a point to share your disgusting sounding chili recipe many different times when nobody's asked for it now somebody's literally asking for a recipe stats you need to help people out look i'm here for the people all right all i do is solve problems you don't know what to have for dinner i'm here for you homemade chicken pot pie it's like handheld it's like a hot pocket but it's actually good and the inside isn't you know ice cold like they usually are it's fantastic if you message me i will give you the recipe Okay. Um, Rob is on Twitter at stats on fire. Um, so hit him up. Uh, next one stats is a bit long, so I'm going to have to kind of blitz through it. And, um, you know, we've read some negative reviews before, you know, we're not afraid of that. We'll always be honest with people. And this person literally, uh, is coming at me stats. So this comes to us from Dr. DP Summers, uh, five-star review. 
Um, it's titled Like All the Shows, But Some of the Guys Need to Get a Life. I think the Espionation podcasts. Oh, I kind of like that. Podcasts are about as good as national coverage gets, though I have a bone to pick with RJ Ochoa. That's me, Stats. Um, he says the Bills whine about the overtime rules, but I have to say it might be that RJ himself is the biggest perpetrator here. Most of the local coverage <laughs> is about how we should have won it before overtime. You just have to say 13 seconds and everyone knows what you mean. Uh, but if you take away the jokes, Personally, at least, I only see the occasional mention. It is probably true that most when I hear someone obsessing about it, it is most often RJ himself. Um, and then just for full context, this person writes, now overall, RJ's pretty good. He has a tendency to focus on the Cowboys, but he is upfront about how he sees that as a part of his job. Unlike some others, maybe you stats, he can see flaws in his team and certainly be critical about them, but this obsession is getting tiresome and bringing down his average. Uh, there's a longer paragraph, but this is the, the spirit of the review. I... I mean, like, I don't think 100% of Bill's fans or people or whatever are, um, cry, you know, whining or crying about the 13 seconds thing. But stats, I was thinking more about this. And I do think that, like, this situation is the victim of the Bills becoming, like, NFL media's team. So many NFL faces and important people have latched onto the Bills. And I will credit the Bills or Bills Mafia or whatever for not being the, the perpetrator behind the whining and the crying. But so many people with loud enough voices has that it has inflated the average of the whiners and the complainers. And that's kind of my point. I'm not saying it's Josh Allen or anything doing it. Yeah, I mean, there are like causes that kind of get taken up every year. Uh, for a while, it was Russell Wilson's never gotten an MVP vote. I think that's actually still true. But sometimes like stuff just kind of bubbles up. And yeah, I think that there is a general feeling with the Bills like, hey, this fan base deserves it. They're awesome. Plus, honestly, I think part of it is like people in our business, producers and things like that know like, hey, let's pump up the Bills. We could do shots of Bills Mafia jumping through right. the tables and the, like it's it's good. It's a good story. So that's all part yeah. of it. But yeah, I agree. The the idea of the Bills as victims of poor rules is definitely like coming from the coverage of the team. I will say it's a victim of them actually becoming what the Jaguars and Browns could not. The, the, everybody was so hip to pick them. Obviously, the Jaguars kind of circa 2017, the year they, you know, because there was all, you know, it, it was always like, who's the team that's like kind of like gone through the the Sixers sort of process, right? Like who has the young influx of talent? And everybody's like, oh, the Jaguars going to be the, the hot team to make the playoffs. And like, again, that just kind of fell apart so quickly. And the Browns, I think a lot of people were in on it. And then obviously it all fell apart. And then they, you know became horrible people um but so the bills have actually kind of lived out what people want from that team and so like this is just you know this is the charmeleon part of the evolution you know what i mean the browns and jaguars are stuck on charmander um and eventually maybe we'll hit charizard so i know that that reference was not lost on you at all stats the final review comes to us from t1201 five star uh, rating it is titled the look ahead so this is for you and i specifically for starters, I love the whole crew here on the SB Nation NFL show. BLG and Stats are easily my favorites. Hey, congrats, Stats. Um, I loved RJ until he said the Eagles trading for AJ Brown was a bad move. I look forward to these episodes every week until the off-day debrief returns. The other shows will hold it down. Anyways, appreciate you guys a ton. Hashtag bring big Tom. Oh, bring BLG to MFM. The hashtag um, that kind of um, confused me. So, yeah, uh, an advocacy for Brandon on Monday Football Monday. BLG is great forever. May he reign. You do have some weird takes, man. Trading for AJ Brown is a bad move is one of your weirdest takes that I'll like never understand. That's like a way oversimplification of what my take was, but we're not here to discuss that today. Stats. We don't need to relitigate past takes. 
I mean, I'm always I'm always down to relitigate past takes. I just want to give you a chance to correct it. That's all. But you don't seem like you're my, primed to my do that. My point was simply that, like, I think any team except for the Browns who traded for a wide receiver this offseason lost, like was the loser of that trade. I'm not saying that he doesn't make the Eagles better, but that's I mean, I don't I don't want to be the team that's trading, you know, big time capital for a wide receiver and then having to pay him the way that the Raiders do with Devontae Adams, the Dolphins do with Tyreek Hill and the Eagles do with AJ Brown. That's what I mean by that. And again, I said that at the time, but, you know, because I'm the Cowboys guy, it's like, oh, just just hating on the Eagles. You know, there's a necessary context all around. I don't like I still don't get like what's so terrible about trading for AJ Brown and then paying him. Oh, no, we, we have a good player. What should we do? Pay anyway, him. stats. Let's move on to the subject of today's show stories from um, our times. Is that maybe the best way to put it? Yeah, I mean, look, we've been doing this for a long time. I know, you know, I've been in the sports media business since 2004, not in the same role, obviously, that's when I first broke in. I was, you know, a production assistant back then. But sometimes that's the best place to be. Sometimes mm. people almost you're you're below the radar. Like people forget you're in the room. You hear stories. So you know, we've both been in this business for a long time. You hear some things. You see some things. And we're gonna try and dive into it a little bit. I would also add um, stats and I stats way more uh, have some history of radio work. And uh, have been to several radio rows uh, at the Super Bowl. I think stats. Your first was 2012 Super Bowl 47. Yes, is that correct? My first radio row was when the 49ers were in the Super Bowl <laughs> against the Ravens. Um, well, don't tell Bernard Pollard that because he'll just find an opportunity to, to go <laughs> off. But um, my, I've been to four three radio rows in person obviously we've had the digital radio row coverage here uh the SB Nation nfl show has never existed in a pre-covid world uh um, and so we've only done radio row from a, a digital you know sort of zoom perspective um the first one i went to was super bowl 51 uh, patriots falcons in houston um so i went to that one and minnesota the next year in atlanta i did all those with espn san antonio and then uh Again, before the SB Nation NFL show in its current construction, I went with SB Nation and uh, Gina Thomas, Gina Kelly. Uh, we were there. We had a great time. Pete Sweeney, Kyle Posey were there. That was the Chiefs 49ers Super Bowl. Sorry, Sats. I know you were there, but you weren't uh, here at the time. So we were both there. Didn't even know it. We, we, were, we could have passed each other in the convention centers at four different Super Bowls and not even known it. We probably did. Let's be honest. First thing I want to share with people, generally at Radio Row, there's no food. I don't know why they set it up like this. It's terrible most of the time. So everybody is looking for food. And I'll never forget in 2012, all of a sudden, Domino's came through. It was a genius by them, right? Domino's came through Radio Row and they brought a bunch of pizzas. But the only kind that they brought was like cheeseburger pizza. But everybody Dude. was so hungry that you literally just it was like a flood of people that crashed in and like descended upon the Domino's people. And we were all shoving pizza down our gullets. You know, um, watching Radio Row this year, because, again, we didn't have a physical presence. Um, I know Micah Parsons. Um was like I think he was representing Pizza Hut um like I don't know what the exact campaign was but he was bringing pizza so like that that occasionally will happen like you're talking about like Domino showed up but like a lot of guests also like the product they're pushing they'll bring yes. some sort of food or snack or like smoothie um you know some sort of sample of whatever it is again it just depends um 
Emmett Smith used – in fact, he did do this uh, when we had him on two years ago, um, the Buccaneers Chief Super Bowl. His product that he was pushing was Eradura Tequila, which is a tequila company he's partnered with. And if you're in person with him, I've seen this happen. He will leave a bottle of tequila. Like, you know, I don't know if, if you've seen that in your experiences. but um, And they were supposed to ship one to me because I interviewed him, uh, but they couldn't get it delivered. And that was such a huge bummer. But um, That but is yeah, a huge so, bummer. It was, there's I a was lot never of... going to open it. I was just going to like be like, yeah, that's that's the bottle that Emmett sent me. But There's you know. a cool thing about Radio Row in that like people bring a lot of product and you can get some swag. And sometimes it's something really cool like that. Like who wouldn't want a nice bottle of tequila? Uh, one of my Radio Row memories that stands out, I can't remember what Super Bowl it was, but it had to be around 2010, 2011, around there. twenty Maybe it was like 2012. I'm not sure. But... It was during Tebow Mania. And mm. so it had to be your radio, first one. Yeah, at Radio Row, like people are just there. Superstars are there. Emmett Smith's walking around, like you said, Micah Parsons. I will never forget people running past Joe Montana. Like, literally, like, get out of my way, old dude. Running past Joe Montana because Tim Tebow was on Radio Row. I've never seen anything like it. It was like no one else in the room mattered at all. It was just Tebow. I think people forget like how massive of a story that was. And for me, as you know, because I didn't have a dog in the fight, right? Like I'm a Niner fan, so I didn't care about the Broncos. It was like the perfect story. I was rooting for Tim Tebow just because if he did anything good, that was our whole show the next day. I knew our ratings were going to be huge. It was such an incredible phenomenon. And that was just like the crystallization of it for me was people running past arguably the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. <laughs> oh, to my get to a guy that literally completed like one pass in a game that he won. Um, anyway, um, it's funny that you mentioned that. Uh because like it can be kind of hectic. In fact, I know you weren't working here yet, but I believe that Kyle interviewed Frank Gore like between interviews. Um, I don't know yes. if, if you like if I, you can. Yeah, I mean, he um, for maybe any Niners fan, they remember that. But I remember him showing us the video um, like Frank was walking from one hit to another and like on the walk. Kyle interviewed him and it wasn't like a long interview, but still like the hustlers, you know, works out for them in, in different radio rows. Um, you're going about this exercise a little bit differently than I sort of plan to. I have three specific stories and only one of them is relative to radio row. If that's all right with you. Oh, all right. Okay. So the first one that is relative to radio row, uh, it was my first one. And I went just to kind of help the radio station out, like take pictures, you know, things like that, coordinate things. And they, I mean, like the first day they were like, okay, go get us guests, which as you know, is like a super intimidating thing to do in person. <laughs> uh, but I think it was the final day. It was Friday in Houston. And I want to stress it was my first radio row. So I didn't know any better. And I, I only packed like nice clothes. Like I was wearing slacks and a button up shirt and like dress shoes every That's single what you day. Should be wearing. Well, I'm just saying, like, in later years, I dressed nice, but I wore like you know sneakers that that worked with my you know pants or whatever the case. I was wearing like dress shoes. Um, and in Houston, it was at the George R. Brown Convention Center. I know you remember, and there was like a huge park, maybe like a mile away. 
And so we had an opportunity, the guys did, to interview Kirk Cousins, who was the Washington quarterback at the time. Uh, but it, he was not going to be in the convention center that day. Um, he was going to be on the Puppy Bowl set or the Animal Planet set because they were pushing the Puppy Bowl. And so they told me, and I, I had really not done a lot of interviews at the time. They were like, look, you can go interview Kirk for us if you want, blah, blah. We'll play, you know, this and that. Um, but you got to, like, go there. And I had to walk, like, a mile outdoors. You Ooh. know, and it was it was February, but it was still, like, warm and wearing my, like, dress shoes and everything. And I had to, like, cross over this, like, litter of puppies. It was crazy um, now looking back <laughs> on it. But I got to interview Kirk one-on-one, which was really cool. I, like, he was the big name I'd interviewed at the time. He was so awesome. Um, I have photos to back up my story stats and I'm texting them to you while I tell them. Um, and I will never forget because I had to shoehorn like an animal planet question in and a puppy bowl one. So I said, what's like your favorite quality in a dog? And he said he thought about it for a long time and he went loyalty. And that's when I knew it was over in Washington right then. I mean, he would play one more season, but I was like, yeah, this dude's never like sticking around here. So um, me and Kirk were best friends. As you can see, he's wearing lime green sunglasses in the photo. Nice. That's probably the most was... personality he's ever showed. <laughs> wow. I thought that was a cool story, but if you hate it, that's up to you. Fine. Whatever. That's how it is on Radio Row, though. Like, stuff just happens. Like you said, Kyle Posey just finding Frank Gore and doing an interview. Like, it's sort of a, a crazy place. I'll never forget realizing that Patrick Mahomes was on Radio Row the year after he won the MVP, the 50 touchdown year. And I was like, oh, no, I was working for Pro Football Talk at the time. And it was like, Patrick Mahomes is here. We have to get Patrick Mahomes on the show. So I just found the person that was bringing Patrick Mahomes around and begged him to come on the show. Like, just like, please just give us 10 minutes, any 10 minutes you have on the schedule. It's Pro Football Talk. It's Mike Florio. His website gets millions of hits every single day. We'll put the interview on the website. You know, I'm throwing everything at him. And, uh, yeah, it ultimately no. worked out, but uh, it's a long story. We didn't actually end up doing an interview, although he did agree to come on the show, but it was out of my hands at that point. The um, the Super Bowl that I interviewed Kirk at, um, that was obviously the Super Bowl 51, which is the culmination of the 2016 season, and Mahomes obviously drafted in 2017. And as you know, Lee Steinberg very often, ha- or not very often, all the time, every Super Bowl has his like kind of top dudes, you know, at the Super Bowl and is, is kind of putting them through the car wash. And that year it was, I mean, looking back on it, I mean, Paxton Lynch was kind of the big name that everybody was focusing on and interviewing or whatever, um, like coming off the, the previous year because he was trying to like reboost his stock. Uh, but Aaron Jones was there and like nobody was interviewing Aaron Jones. It was fascinating that he like, <laughs> again, just to look, I, I interviewed him like at a table with like a little tiny recorder, just like talking casually, like it was no big deal. Um, but Patrick Mahomes was there. And again, like, you know, just walking around, I took a photo with him that year as well. But like, you know, knowing what he would go on to become, it's just kind of insane to see, you know, like photos or memories of like nobody paying them any attention, any mind, um, just because nobody knew. Uh, my next, uh, story is from a fan experience. Um, I don't know if I've ever told you the story stats and I've definitely told it, um, on BTB properties before, but so my dad and I used to go to a road Cowboys game every year prior Mm -hmm. to the, the pandemic. And so we went to Pittsburgh in 2016 and it was awesome. It was great. Like it's one of my favorite trips, um, great sports town, whatever, blah, blah. And, um, and so we bought the tickets from a season ticket holder. And he told us when we bought them that his seats were next to Franco Harris's season tickets. And like, I mean, like, I don't know that I didn't believe, well, I don't know that I didn't believe him, but I was just kind of like, 
okay you know like i didn't like i didn't i didn't totally believe him but i didn't like not believe him it was just kind of like a we'll see whatever like blah blah um and so you know we win we had a great weekend whatever and we're at the game and i'm sure you remember the game it's the zeke walk off it was an amazing one it's yep. maybe the best win in the dak zeke era in the regular season uh, or i guess you know maybe not just the regular season because it's the cowboys but um and so we got there and um, before the game we were like eating i don't know like a burger or whatever it was like at the local like the nearby area by our section and uh this this couple this older couple asked if they could share the table with us because there was like not a ton of space so we're just kind of you know where you from whatever going back and forth they said you know because we were cowboys fans wearing cowboys jerseys and stuff and um they said where are you sitting and we kind of told them and they said that's right next to Franco. And that's when I was like, holy crap, like this is <laughs> <laughs> this this is like kind of real. Uh, so, you know, they were like, he is usually here, blah, blah, blah. So like I kind of started to let myself believe this would actually happen. So uh, we go sit, whatever, waiting. And like right after the national anthem, in comes Franco Harris. And he came and sat right next to me. I, was, I literally watched that game between my dad and Franco Harris. And he was so cool. The the coolest dude at halftime took a bunch of pictures with a lot of Steelers fans, obviously. I sent you the photo right now. And um, it was just a really surreal experience. And at the time, Dak was a rookie and there was all the like, and Romo was getting healthy. And he and I had a conversation like, should they go back to Romo, blah, blah. And he was like, no, you got to like this. This is Dak's team now. Because I was kind of like, let's go back to Romo or whatever. Um, and so it was really cool. That was a really cool story. Um, that's one of my favorite ones. So like you said, I've gotten a chance to do a few radio rows and there are some people that are on Radio Row every single year. Bill Romanowski is going to be on Radio Row every year peddling his disgusting health drink that he drags around in a cooler the whole time. That's the smoothie that I was talking about, yeah. Awful. Uh, Franco Harris is always there. He usually does something with uh, K Jewelers. Every kiss begins with K because he usually makes the host sing with him. But So you get to see him year after year. So I I don't like to judge athletes on a quick two-second interaction. I think it's unfair to them. But when you see Franco there year after year and like you get to talk to him for a little bit and I just always got the impression from him that he is a totally cool down to earth grab a beer with you type of guy. Yeah, I mean, he I vividly remember he had like um, it was like a like an order of fries. Like that's what he ate the whole game. He just like snacked on fries. And I was like, huh, you and me. We're the same. You know, yeah, people like, like, I, French I, I like fries. fries. Yeah. Who doesn't like French fries? It's fried potato. Well, it was Pittsburgh, too. So, like, the Permani Brothers thing, like, that's, you know, it was like a, you know, French fries are like a specific thing to that part of the world. I mean, you know, whatever. That, it's a cool story. That's what, what's your next story, Stats? So, this is a cool, this is a, another Radio Row story, but that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. Uh, we had Eli Manning on one time, Ooh. and this was, we weren't live, so we were just taping, so we had, like, a lot of time. And I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Florio's nephew who had to be like six or seven years old. was just there watching. He had a football. He was getting autographs from people, but not everybody. He was just kind of there like checking out all the athletes we had on the set. So Eli Manning gets to the set early, which is amazing. As a producer, like I cannot tell you how much joy that would bring me. But this uh, Florio's nephew loved Eli Manning, like loved him. And so Mike just said, hey, Eli, like, this is my nephew. He's a huge Giant fan. He loves you. And Eli Manning, totally on his own, brings the kid up to the set, sits the kid at the desk, sits next to the kid, and starts interviewing the kid, asking him questions like, what are you? What grade are you in? Blah, blah, blah. For like 10 minutes. 
just nobody asked him to do it. He just did it on his own. I have so much respect for Eli just for doing that. It was such a cool thing. I cannot tell you like the kids year was made. Like he will never, ever forget that. And I always tell the, the production people back, you know, in the studio, I would say record everything. Like don't ever stop recording. Cause there's a ton of cool interactions that come up and funny right. moments that happen. So we were able actually able to cut that and give the interview. So like, he'll always have the interview that he did with Eli Manning. And I just thought that was, for somebody that, that was at like Eli's stature to do that, just completely unprompted, not as a favor to anybody, just because he thought it would be a cool thing for the kid. I'll never forget that. I thought that was really awesome. Yeah. I mean, Eli's an all-star human. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. have no like qualms admitting that, but um, I'm fine, whatever. That is actually really cool, especially like in the hubbub of like radio row and how busy it can be. Um, and so, you know, respect. All right. Good for you, Eli. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, are you ready for my next one? Always. Okay, so this was at Dallas Cowboys training camp in Oxnard, California. I think I think this was 2018. Um, it was either 18 or 19. Um, and I don't know if you know the stats. I'm very certain we actually have never talked about this and all the things that we, we have talked about. Um, forever, the Cowboys, actually up until Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys quarterbacks did not wear red practice jerseys. Have you and I ever talked about this? No. Yeah, and like... It was a huge – I don't know when I noticed it. I noticed it, like, when I first started blogging. It might have been around, like, 2015, 2016. And I first, like, noticed it then, and I was like, this is strange. And, I, and you know, because every team, when they're, you know, they're practicing, their quarterback is wearing some sort of red jersey. Or if their colors are red, um, I think the Niners quarterbacks were, like, black, right? Like, black. they were some sort of – yeah, they were some sort of color to, like, differentiate them. Like, right, you know, don't hit the quarterback, whatever. And I looked and looked and looked and historically could not find – anything like I couldn't find any whatever and uh, at the time I had um I had written something about Roger Staubach at a different article at a different website and his daughter followed me on Twitter and she DM me and was like oh my gosh this is so awesome I showed my daddy loved it blah blah and we kind of became a little bit friendly and I asked her to ask him like hey like like whatever And, and she did and he said that he had no recollection of ever wearing a red jersey and he didn't know why so I was like how is this possible like how could can nobody know this whatever and so um the year before at Cowboys training camp, Gil Brandt was there doing his serious XM thing. And so I was like, well, if there's anyone to ask, <laughs> you know, it's it's him. So I walked up, hey, Mr. Brandt, whatever, blah, blah. Um, why why have the, the quarterbacks never worn red practice jerseys? And he said, I don't know. And I was like, holy crap, like if Gil Brandt doesn't know, like who knows this answer? Like this is insane to me. Um, so the next year, 
at camp, Jason Garrett would give his, his obviously daily press conferences and then kind of have a little scrum after and then would walk off. And he was walking off and he was by himself. And I thought, I will never have a moment like this ever again in my life. And so I just walked up to Jason Garrett, just me, like there's nobody else around and said, coach, I just have to ask you one thing. And he was, and I think he thought I was going to ask about like, you know, what's going on out there with Dez or whatever, you know, whatever. And I, I was just <laughs> like, why, why don't the quarterbacks wear, wear, wear red practice jerseys? Like, and I kind of like quickly told him I've asked a billion people. Nobody can give me an answer. And you know, Jason Garrett to be this kind of like, you know, buttoned up dude. He, he just in kind of a, a badass way was like, because they know not to hit the quarterback. Like that, that was all he said. Like it was just like they they know. And so I like that was sort of the answer I always accepted. And then Mike McCarthy shows up first day of training camp. Boom, quarterback that day. Um, that that like Dak is in his red practice jersey, dude. I got tagged in probably like 500 tweets just because people were like, "Holy crap, they're wearing red practice jerseys." So um, it was a very strange phenomenon that I ran up the flagpole as many different times as I could. Sometimes when you get a coach like that or somebody in the NFL and you ask a question that's not like a newsy type question, like that they're not expecting when it's just kind of like a harmless thing, they're like so relieved to not, you know, have to like get their yeah. defenses up that they just kind of relax and like will tell you the truth and stuff. And uh, not great that this is not a hard hitting thing, but that is crazy that the Cowboys had never had that. That's a little weird. Well, it was so weird, dude. And like, it, it was my first training camp, and I was talking to other members of the media, like on the practice field, and kind of bringing it up, right? Like how nobody would ever. And somebody was like, "Well, why don't you ask Garrett in the press conference?" And I was like, "Nah." You mean ask my a- question in front of all these people? Like, no way. I'm not gonna do that. So that was why it, <laughs> it took a year and Garrett being completely by himself for me to stomach up the courage. Uh, but I did ask that question eventually. No, there you go. Good work by you. All right, let's see the next story. I'm gonna tell. Okay, so. One of the cool things about doing shows is if you work with talent that are decent human beings and good people, they will usually take you out to dinner at least once during the trip. Greeny and Golick always did when I was at ESPN, and Florio always would take us out to these incredible dinners whenever we would go on the road for pro football talk. And sometimes at the dinner, it would just be the crew of the show, but sometimes there would be other people randomly showing up to dinner, agents, scouts, Things like that. Mike would usually not tell me ahead of time, like who is going to be at the dinner. So sometimes like you show up to the table and it's, you know, hey, this is a scout from this team. This is a coach from this team, whatever. So one year we were out and I don't want to reveal names, but I'll say we were sitting with a scout from the Raiders and we were talking about the draft class and the whole thing. And he told me, and this is probably like five or six years ago, he said that they put almost no stock in the Wonderlick, which I kind of figured, but he was like, we don't take almost anything away from it at all. Like we wouldn't even give it if we didn't have to give it. And I said, why not? And he said, because 90% of the time when players do bad on the Wonderlick, it's not because they don't know the answers to the questions. It's because they have trouble reading. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, most of the time, like if you were to ask somebody the same question, just verbally, they would be able to get it no problem. But it was the reading that was tripping people up. One, the li- I w- literal, actual reading comprehension part of it. Yes. Wow. And so one, I was like, what the hell is happening with our education in the United States that like, we're struggling with this? But two, like it, that never even entered my mind. It was always like, okay, well, the wonder lick is not valuable because those skills don't necessarily translate to football. It never even occurred to me to think that what if these people have a problem reading? 
it was just like an eye-opening moment for me that I never even thought of. And it was just like, you know, a lot of times we think we have a good idea of how these teams are run and stuff like that. And for me, it was just like, damn, I never even thought of that. And I had no idea that that teams even considered that. Wow. That's really, I mean, it makes sense. So like beyond, beyond the obvious why they place so much more importance on like the interview portion, but it's because like there's just question and answer. They don't have to worry about like that, that gap or whatever um, that, that that may present. So that's interesting. I mean, that really is legitimately interesting. So um, wow. Shout out to the Raiders. Don't sound so surprised. I mean, geez, like Frank Gore, for example, has severe dyslexia. He would not, you know, he would probably struggle. I don't know what he got on the wonder lick, but if you talk to him about football and then the plays and the Niner system, like he's as smart in that area as anybody. So it's just like different, you know, different skills. Wow. Well, I'm sure Kyle Posey asked him about that when he was running in between interviews. Um, okay. That's cool. That's a good one. Um, let me think here. I, um, I have an autograph story from when I was a kid. I don't know if, if this works. Um, but I've told this story doesn't before. doesn't really fit in of... with what we're doing. Okay, fine. Then I don't have to tell that story. Um, <laughs> so actually, this is a different story. Back at Cowboys training camp. This was, I think, 2018. I'm not totally certain on the year. Um, but so after, um, you know, walkthroughs or practices, you know, it's kind of like a scrum. Get whoever you can. Interview whoever you can. Obviously, like the DAX of the world have like a, a you know score of people around them. But like my strategy was always like for podcasting purposes, go find one player, you know, get a quick like five seven minute interview, get another whatever, and just get these like individual one on one conversations. And so at the time, I was a huge fan of Bryce Butler, wide receiver on the team. Um, you know, never it never really worked out for him in Dallas, which was really unfortunate. Um, but so I walked, and but he was a big golfer, big big. Fan fan of golf and obviously I'm a big fan of golf and so um, I knew that just from like following him on social media and interacting with him a few times and I'd spoken to him once or twice before but I walked up to him and I had on a shirt from a golf tournament we'd had at ESPN San Antonio and um, so we started like talking or whatever and he asked me if that was a golf polo that I was wearing and I was like yeah and so then he just he threw his arm around me keep in mind this dude is wearing his like shoulder pads and everything still and has just practiced so he's like drenched in sweat. So, <laughs> so he like throws his arm around me and we're walking around the practice field in Oxnard like, like buddies. And it was this awesome experience, don't get me wrong, but I stunk for the rest of the day because he had like thrown his arm around me, which was really cool. But what was awesome is while we were talking, the Cowboys offensive line was walking on the field. And then like to mess with him, they surrounded us. Like they like oh, literally no. enclosed <laughs> us. <laughs> and so I was like talking to Brian and I, I've never felt that small, like physically small because Tyron Smith is like literally like five feet over my head. And so it was just a really cool experience. I, to the point of like Eli, I think it's really cool when, when people like Bryce make their interviews a, a much more personal experience. Like I was really new at this at the time and it really gave me a lot of confidence and it was really this like soothing thing to have this really fun, you know, laid back natured sort of interview. It's really weird how it's like, depending on how, what mood the athlete is in, you could do two totally different interviews with people. You could do one where like you're going after news and you're, you know, trying to answer good questions. Those are generally the, the types of interviews that I do because I'm not good at the other part. The other side of it is like what you're talking about, where you just become people and you just have a conversation and, and have a good time. And you're right. If the person is in a good mood, sometimes they could, you know, make it into something really, really special. Because I think that, you know, they 
for athletes, it's a job. It's different. And every once in a while, like they'll, they'll kind of realize like for us on the outside of that, it's just a different world. And, you know, and, and for them to like take the time and make you a part of it, I thought that's really cool. Yeah. So shout out to Bryce Butler. I have another one ready if you don't. Uh, all right. I'll come up with one more before the end of the show. So you go okay. ahead. So this one doesn't involve me uh, technically, but uh, this was at Super Bowl 52 in Minnesota. And I know you were doing the pro football talk thing, so you probably didn't experience this because the set, I don't know, where was your set in, in Minnesota? At the food court. Okay, it was at the food, like, I mean, that's where, so like, first of all, that's where all of Radio Road was. I don't know if yes. anybody besides you and I knew that. Um, but I'm, it was literally in the mall, in the Mall of America, in the food court. Yes, um, exactly. And so court. you mentioned like, it is generally like a fight or a difficult thing to figure out what to eat. It was never easier than that year, just because like you could, True. you know, walk to wherever you want. It's like, that part was cool. But um, so... Not only was it in the food court, normally, at least the radio rows I've been to, and again, you were in a bit of a spoiled situation because you always had this like massive PFT set. But if you're like a, a you know local radio station or whatever, you're at one of the tables in the like stream of them, and there there's just these lines and lines and lines of tables, right, rows of tables. And so, generally, you're in some sort of convention center or whatever, and you have a solid you know sort of surface area like you know bit bit of a buffer room between you and the next table over to kind of lay backpacks and people because you know later in the week it gets really crowded right like all these people are coming they all have their entourages and things like that um but in minnesota again this maybe it wasn't the case for you it was packed i mean it, oh, was, it was like these tiny, yeah it was tiny like you maybe had two feet from from one table to another so when it got later in the week and all these people were in there like walk you know for the the people or whatever to walk through from one table to another was extremely difficult and so um so i was there with espn san antonio and one of the hosts his name is jason minix and so, um, so Jason and, and the other host, Rob, they were interviewing somebody. I don't remember who. And I was running like a camera and just kind of, you know, making sure everything was going well, whatever. And Tony Gonzalez was, was walking by just again, you know, trying to squeeze through whatever. And this guy, Jason's really small. And, uh, and Tony stepped and I mean, I couldn't see this at the time. Uh, but like, because of how smushed everything was, he stepped right on Jason's ankle, like literally like put his entire body weight on him. (laughs) And like, all I saw was Jason, like, and he was like mid interview. So he didn't make any noise, but he just like screamed silently in so much pain because Tony Gonzalez had just crushed his ankle. And so that was a really fun thing to look back on and laugh at a billion different times, uh, was Tony Gonzalez basically breaking Jason Minnick's ankle. That was such a bizarre scene. So like there was like the food court proper where you were, where it was literally like there was it was just like a big circle and they just jammed as many people as possible into the circle. And then we were kind of separate from that on the path leading up to like in the aisle of the mall, basically leading up to the food court. But, you know, our show started at 6 a.m. So I would get there at like 430 and five o'clock. And there would be like the mall walkers, you know, like the older people in like the sweatsuit. They're still there. They're just doing laps in the morning. Like, so we would see the same people going around and around. Like you were literally in the mall. The thing I'll never forget about that year is I didn't realize this. So the Mall of America is in Minnesota, obviously where it's freezing cold. The stores in the Mall of America are heated. They all have heat. Yeah, but not the mall. hallways and the mall itself is not heated. I did not know this. My first day there when it was negative five degrees. So 
we're doing the show. I am freezing for the whole day. Like not, I'm in my winter coat, like freezing cold, not realizing the rest of the week that week in Minnesota, I wore long underwear under my dress shirt and dress pants because it was so freezing cold in the mall of America. And I like was stunned that it was not heated. I mean, it makes sense from like a, like a thermodynamics perspective, why it wouldn't be, but you're right. Like, unless you know that it's a, you know, and like, once you got to like the, the radio row configuration, it wasn't cold. Cause there were so many people, right? Like some, you know, so, so like whatever. Uh, but yeah, like the first, you know, I don't know, like hundred feet that you walked, it was still just as cold inside as it was outside. That's an interesting, um, little wrinkle. I did think of one more, um, on the subject of this. So, because you mentioned the time you would get there, like get there early, whatever. Um, the year before in Houston, I don't know if you um, like where you parked, but so the convention center was massive. I don't know how how wide the George R. Brown Convention Center or how long it is. It, it must be like three miles long, and um, and so the parking was literally on one end, and where Radio Row was was literally on the other end. So it was like a massive jaunt to get, and you you have to go through like security and and like it's kind of like airport security to get into this thing, and so. Um, I think it was Thursday or Friday morning. Um, as you know, stats, the, you know, like behind the curtain of radio, like a lot of interviews are pre-taped because people are moving or whatever. So you're not doing every single interview live. And we had a, at the time in San Antonio, a morning show, uh, but it wasn't on for several hours. And they had told me the night before that Emmett Smith was going to be on the show. They didn't tell me what time or anything. They just said, you know, be here, whatever, 9 a.m. Um, tomorrow. And so I was like, okay, cool. So I was pulling into the parking lot at like 830 and one of the guys calls me and he's like, Emmett just got here right now. And I was like, well, okay. And he was like, you need to be here right now. They were early, whatever. So I was literally in the car. I mean, I don't know that I've ever, and like I said, that was my first one. So like I was in dress shoes. Like I ran the entire convention center. Um, it was, it was very hectic, but, uh, but that's the kind of stuff that happens. It's fun and exhilarating. And like, you know, obviously they're all good, fun memories. I have two more quick stories. One is at the Combine in Indianapolis. We were going to have Pat McAfee on the show. By the way, Pat McAfee is as cool as he seems on the air. Just a really cool, chill guy. And we were supposed to have McAfee on the show. Which it, This is a little weird considering he played in Indianapolis for as long as he did. But like, it, So the convention center is connected to Lucas Oil in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. But Pat didn't know how to get in and he didn't know how to find us. So I had to, we, this was live, this is when we were on the air. I had to run to from our set to the entrance, find Pat McAfee, and then he and I are running through the convention center in Indianapolis, like weaving in and out of like other people, other NFL like executives that are there as I'm trying to rush him to the set in time before the segment is over. I had to get him through the security, through like the metal detector. I was like, this is freaking, this is Pat McAfee. Like he played for the team. And then we finally had to run him in, and he ended up staying. Uh, but that was really cool. I'll never forget that. And then McAfee, like, as we're trying to move, like, I'm booking it, right? He's like, dude, my knee is all jacked up. Like, I can't be running, like, slow down. So that was really weird. And then the other uh, story is when I was with the ESPN with Mike and Mike, we were going to have OCU Minora, the former Giants lineman, guest host for the day. And normally at ESPN, like, you know, they have a car service and – they pick the people up and all that stuff. Well, for some reason, I don't know what happened. The car was not coming to pick up OCU Manure and like it's getting to showtime. We need to get him in. So they're like, hey, stats, go pick up OC from the hotel. <laughs> okay. Except here's the problem. 
I drive at that point a Subaru Impreza, which is Ooh. a teeny tiny little car. And he's like 500 feet me. tall. Yeah. OC Uminora is 6'3, 255 pounds. So we come to pick him up. And first of all, I'm like, I pull out of the hotel and I'm like, beep, beep, you know, my little tiny toy car. And OC comes out and it, like he takes two steps and he realizes what's happening. And I just see his head kind of tilts to the side. And he's like, this isn't really a thing, right? Like, I think he was wondering, like, do they want me to pick this car up and just carry it back to ESPN? <laughs> so he opens the door and I, I just look at him and I'm like, hey, man. I'm sorry. I was like, we were supposed to have a car for you. I don't know what happened. And so I just lift up the bar on the passenger seat and shove the seat as far back as it'll go. I don't know how he fit in that car. Luckily, it was like a 10-minute car ride. But yeah, OC was not thrilled that that's how his uh, guest hosting duties at ESPN started. That's my favorite story that you told. Uh, that's really funny. That was a really good... Uh, we talk about you have like great sound effects for the stories you tell your kids. That was a really good little car horn sound effect, by the way. Um, <laughs> you, uh, you reminded me of one more. And I, this is a, a really funny one. And I think a good one to close out on. Um, that also involves Pat McAfee. And so what year, do you remember, was the Pat McAfee incident you had? Oh, geez. I don't remember because it it's hard to differentiate the combine years. Right. Uh, okay. I can't well, remember. So this was um, in Atlanta. So this was um, the 2018 season. So like whatever it is, January 2019, et cetera. And um, so like he had started a podcast. Like, you know what I mean? He was like on his way, but he was not like what he is today. Um, and so I will never forget. It was cold. And I mean, it was in Atlanta. It was cold. And he was wearing a hoodie with the sleeves ripped off. Uh, <laughs> and it was a it was a Buffalo Wild Wings hoodie because that's what like he was pushing. And he didn't have a shirt on underneath. So, like literally just like a hoodie, you know, whatever with the sleeves ripped off. And he, like it totally matched his personality. And so he comes in and, and, you know, it's the same two guys, Jason and Rob and, you know, whatever kind of exchanging hands, blah, blah. And, um, and so they start recording the interview, whatever. And I was recording like with, with the camera, like for the video component of things. And, uh, so they're talking to him and having a good time. He's being cool, whatever. And, uh, so they say like, and I think he had a set for his, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it was the Pat McAfee show at the time. I know he's like kind of had a few different iterations, but he said that he did something at Top Golf. So he was like explaining that. And, um, so he was like, this whole convention center is really awesome. Like he was kind of saying whatever. And he said, I was walking around right now and I just saw George Foreman. And so the, you know, Rob and Jason are like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And he goes, yeah, I, I wanted to tell him, like, I used your grill every day in college, you know, whatever, and this and that. And so kind of having fun, whatever. And um, you know how Radio Row is, like, there's people interviewing whoever, like, right next to him. He goes, actually, there he is right there. And he just kind of points over there. And Rob and Jason just kind of start laughing. They're like, dude, that is a Vander Holyfield. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, like, I'll send you the video like McAfee's face just like the the moment he realized what it was it was like whoa and he's he just it was so like again you could tell he had so much charisma he just kind of like you know shouted out he said hey Evander tell George I love his grills it was so funny <laughs> <laughs> like it was so funny um so like that was just again you could really tell that he had this like all this charm uh it was just a, like I don't know how many people would have like rebounded that well from that moment but but he found a way it was really funny you could tell if you've like just talked to him for 10 minutes, you're like, if this guy's going to have any kind of show, it's going to be successful. And obviously it's massively successful. I've never told this story to anybody actually, but, um, but so my, one of my good friends, his name is Noah. He is a huge Pat McAfee fan. Like a lot of people are. And so he knew that we were going to be interviewing him and he was like, dude, if you can get me like anything, blah, blah, like, you know, whatever, like signed. And I was like, dude, I'm not going to like get you like a helmet or a ball or whatever. And I was like, I'll see what right. I can do. 
And um, so the night before, you know, because I knew, you know, kind of packing the bag, like, you know, because the mornings are hectic um, in the hotel. They had the like the notes from the hotel, like the little, you know, with the like literally like hotel name on it. And so when the interview was over, I took a picture with Pat myself and I just was like, dude, my friend Noah is like a huge fan of yours. And he was like, get anything signed. And the only thing I could think of was this hotel note. And he said, I love that. That is so funny. And he wrote, Noah, you're hilarious. And he signed it. Like, he is such a cool dude, like, through and through. Um, so that story had nothing to do with me, but it was really funny. You did pictures with the people afterwards? Well, I mean, as you probably know. Amateur. That's a, oh, man. It's a really hectic experience to do them after because they're trying to run to the next interview. Uh, that's a, a like, a key element here but like sometimes they arrive late and sometimes you know like they arrive while the pe- the people are like while somebody else is being interviewed so like you don't really have a ton of time i agree the best time to take photos is before the interview but uh, no sometimes you don't you take have to photos do at all man be professional come on dude no i like i i have, have been fortunate to have a lot of cool experiences um and so i'm gonna chronicle them like they were super awesome like you know i i like that pat mcafee memory is amazing to me i mean we're, we like welcome to the world of professionalism this is professionalism in 2022 why should i act like i'm not a fan of these people no you can still act like a fan but you don't act you know you don't get a picture you don't fawn no fawning there's no fawning I fawn all over the place media i fawn over everybody except for rob stats Guerrero. Yeah, well, that's probably a smart move by you. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Again, please keep your ratings and your reviews coming. If you leave it, we will read it. We promise you. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. We are so close to the start of training camp. Like, we were so close to making it through the dark times, RJ. I cannot wait for everything to start ramping back up, and we are going to be covering it all for you. RJ, I don't know what your weekend plans are, but I hope you have a great weekend. I just want to say to anybody listening, um, Rob is on Twitter at Stats on Fire. I am on Twitter at RJ Ochoa. We would like to hear your thoughts. Is it cool to take the photos? Is it professional or not professional? This is now something Stats and I legitimately disagree on. So I would love to hear your thoughts. There you go. And when I win, I will happily gloat. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.